Welcome to Unbooking the Territories. We continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Bruce Pritchard and Jim Cornette's highest rated episode. May I proudly present my personal close good friend, Brother Love! You're obnoxious, you steamroller people! You push people around and you push your agenda and your ideas, whether it's in the locker room or the boardroom. And if this man can help me, I know he can help every one of you out there. I've known you for 30 years and it's always been the same thing. You're arrogant and you have overstepped your bounds and people are getting sick and fed up with you just like usual. We gave you an inch, you took a mile, now I'm giving you a foot out the door, you're fired. Not in this universe or any other will you ever be my boss. So I'd greatly appreciate it if you could find your way out of my ring. This is horrible, this is not something to be laughed at, and I'm gonna tell you one thing, I will call my mother. So how are you this week, Dan? I am absolutely fucked. I don't know what day it is. I don't know where I am or what we're doing. I've, got, I've been brought back to work. I've, it's my first full week in five months. I'm a bit wired. Let's fucking have it. Well, there's no change to, to normal then if you don't know what day of the week it is. Well, no, except I've been working. That's, that's the only change, I suppose, and I'm slightly less drunk than usual. The evening's still young, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. I am actually, I'm very excited though, because we've got another guest and I'm going to jump the gun exactly the same as I did for the first one, because uh, this man is probably to blame for this podcast's existence, at least in part. The podfather himself, I'm, I'm not even going to do a nice intro. It's Mags. How are you doing, mate? <laughs> I'm doing really well. I mean, I've took the podfather out of my name now after after recent events that that will uh, will go unnameless. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you finally both bit the bullet. I've been pushing Rob for what seems like years to to get his voice out there, and obviously uh, you really took well to, to podcasting. So it's cool that you've, uh, you've teamed together, super team, to create this podcast. Yeah, and I'm excited to be on it. I've been dragged in kicking and screaming, mate, between <laughs> you having me on Badlands. My brother bought me a mic for Christmas, and then Rob's came up with the idea. I always said I'd never, I'd never be another fat bearded wrestling podcaster, but I'm here, so I may as well be the fattest and beardiest. One of us, one yeah. of us. <laughs> it's funny because we were having one of our sort of uh, remote pay per view watching sessions where we get drunk and talk on Skype while we're watching the same pay per view a few months ago, and I floated this idea to Dan at the time, and he was like. In his pissed state, he was like, well, that's shit. And I'll wait for him to sober up and he agreed to do it. <laughs> I, don't re- I don't remember that conversation. <laughs> Quality. The best thing is I don't even have to go into my drunk stories because you can listen to them as told by Simon on Chain Wrestling. Yeah, I'm going to name that that segment the Dan Griffin segment because you just provide iconic story after iconic story. The beer yeah. shits one was quality. Which one? The one where it was snowing and oh, you could yeah. only go a couple of steps at a time and you refused <laughs> to shit in a garden. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, the uh, the guy who, one of my mates actually stuck with me through that entire walk and, and we're going to have him on at some point. So, Wow. When you were starting that story, I thought it was the other time when you tried to uh, work out where you'd been during your memory loss period from the step counter uh, on your phone. Which time was that? Well, I, I was thinking of... Uh, the true not, 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 um, oh, after the True Grit Show, not the New Year's Eve incident. Okay, fair enough. 
there's, there's plenty of very similar starting stories. Yeah. <laughs> they all start in a very similar manner. <laughs> I don't know where I've got this reputation from. I really don't. <laughs> I wish everybody could see this. Mags is just shaking his head, and I deserve it. Well, we're, still, we're stealing his content for chain wrestling, though. That's the problem. That's why I'm being as vague as I can. <laughs> to keep feeding the, the Dan Griffin section. Mate, we've only just scratched the fucking surface. So, so what's on the... Oh, I've done it again. That's my first, that's my first over, speaking over, Rob. That's one for the week. It's a running theme. Yeah, well, we need a speaking over counter at the bottom of the screen. Like the Mr. Wrestling 3 superkick counter he used to have in Ring of Honor for uh, superkicks for uh, the Young Bucks. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. Best part of the show. So, obviously, everyone probably knows about you, Max. So, we thought rather than just asking you... <laughs> Bow or bad crook, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Famous or infamous, one of the two. Mm-hmm. So, instead of asking you the normal questions of when you started watching wrestling, that kind of thing, we've given you five categories, sort of ranking order of what's most important to you. We gave it to take away. Hopefully, we've still got the categories rather than James, who claims his dog's dog ate it when he was... <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got, I've got him and... Jesus Christ, it were hard to, to pin them down because I, I, in different ways, all of them could be number five, but then they all could be number one. So I've gone for the least important for me is fan response. Now, that's because I'm getting to be a cranky old man and I don't give a shit about what everyone else thinks. If I enjoy it, that's all that matters. So fan response and crowd response and crowd reaction is the least important to me today. It may be different tomorrow. You want to go back and watch some five episodes where they filmed four episodes of Raw at one sitting and by the time they got to the fourth show, the crowd were asleep. You know, you're begging for crowd response. Yeah, exactly. So for for number two, again, this I could wake up on tomorrow and totally put these in a different order, but... I'm going to go with promos, uh, even though they are really important in, in, in kind of like setting the scene and, and getting you invested. With the other picks, I felt that they, for me, were more important to what would keep me entertained or keep me invested in the show. Third, I'm going to go with presentation. I think it's, it's fair that that's in the middle because... As you can have the best wrestling in the world, but if the if the way it's shown to you is terrible, with like the camera cuts or or, or the the commentary stuff like that, it can really kind of put a dampener on it for me. So that belongs square in the middle. Now these last two, if you'd have asked me ten years ago, fifteen years ago, they'd have probably been in in different different spots. But right now, I would put in ring at four because I'm at the stage now in my wrestling fandom where I've seen as pretty much everything. There's, it's very rare that something in a wrestling ring is shocking or surprising. I've, I've usually seen somebody else do that move or a, a variation of that move, although it's still important. If your wrestling is terrible, you're not going to keep watching it, so it still has to be of a high quality. It's just I don't think I'm as invested in the wrestling as I was when I was in like the Attitude Era. And then fifth, 
Uh, and most important for me is is storyline. Uh, if I'm watching a a week to week show, or I'm watching uh, a show that's on a regular basis like New Japan or AEW, I need to know uh, where the the where we how we got to the point that we're at, why this match is important, why I should be tuning in next week, why I should be buying the pay per view. I think that for me is is right now would be the most important thing about wrestling. Excellent. So we're going to take those figures and we're going to create a FIFA-style radar to compare your picks to our picks. Although you're very close to Dan. I think you've only got in-ring and presentation reversed. Ooh, so you should be worried, one. Max. You should be worried. Yeah, can I, 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 I change my answers? <laughs> <laughs> only after you've woken up tomorrow. <laughs> Although between the three of us and James, who's also been on the show so far, everyone's put storyline as the most important. So that's kind of interesting. And I think that's with the, the age of us as well. If you'd have asked us, like, in our teens, or when we were just investing in whatever shot they put on, uh, on, on Raw or SmackDown, we probably wouldn't have even been that bothered about the storyline. It was all about watching wrestling. But as you get older, you, you, you kind of get more invested in, in, in them telling you a, a story and getting uh, dragged along with it, I suppose. Just sit me in a comfy chair and tell me a story. <laughs> Read me a book. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I was. I was quite good. I was quite glad there when I heard you say fan response least important because I was pretty. That was pretty much my logic. I don't give a mm-hmm. shit what the people in the arena are, are saying as long as I'm enjoying it. I mean, it can. You know, it obviously can add to it. It can add to a moment and a match, and and it can be a real great boost. But if I enjoy it. Why do I give a fuck about anybody else? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what annoys me about this kind of uh, Wednesday night war or these uh, like how much emphasis is put on these ratings because if you're if you like that product, however many other people watching it, it shouldn't really bother you as long as you're enjoying it. I, do, I just don't get it, and I'd, I wouldn't be influenced by someone else saying, oh, that's crap, and then I'd be like, well, yeah, okay, then I'll never watch that again. I'm still going to watch it because I enjoyed it. The thing is, wrestling's a buffet anyway. You, you're never going to like the whole content of one show. Yeah, you know, just right. you're never going to like everything that's at a buffet. Yeah, but yeah, you unless know, you're it's... me, I, I like a lot of stuff on a buffet. <laughs> I was going to say I'll, I'll still eat most of it, <laughs> apart from pickled onions. You'll eat oh, most of it, but then you'll go on Twitter and complain. <laughs> <laughs> Only if it gives me the shits. You know us too well. So, what are you drinking today, Dan? I've just gone. I've gone the lager route again because it's just nice, easy drinking. This time after work, rather than just because I'm a, I didn't want to seem as much of a piss can last week. Uh, I'm on uh, Cloudwater Brewery's Light Lager. I was actually at this brewery uh, just about a year ago, before the world went topsy turvy. Well, a year ago at the time of recording, just before the world went topsy turvy. And it's uh, it's a rather nice drop. It's doing the job nicely. Team me up for the next one. I remember having a cloud water once, and I don't know if it was supposed to, but it tasted like Stilton. It was like, this is bizarre. <laughs> Are you sure it was beer and not cheese? <laughs> well, it, it was at the uh, Rat Brewery Tap, so maybe they'd made it taste cheesy. <laughs> right, so hang on, it was in the Rat Brewery and it tasted cheesy. Exactly, yes. Somebody was taking the piss. Yeah, yeah sounds, sounds like, like it. What are you on, Rob? I'm on Brewer Hells, the one that came from Beer 52 that you've had last week, because you also got the same Beer 52 box that I did. It's uh, 5.2% lager, which you've given 2.5 to, and so have I. Completely middle of the road. Um, oh. I've got Paradise. 
Pardon? Setting off the theme nicely, completely middle of the road. <laughs> completely middle of the road. <laughs> I've got a Paradise Hazy Pale Ale for later, but you've also given that one 2.5, because as I say, you got the same box that I did through the post, so... <laughs> <laughs> Same brand, same brand of piss, same brand of Yorkshire pisshead. I think our guest called us. Yes, <laughs> and I wouldn't change done, it. You wouldn't change it, oh man! No. I was just going to say we've done it again. We've picked a guest who uh, who doesn't really fancy a bevy. Well, hey, hey, uh, uh, I will tell you now. I am drinking, and I'm a classy chick, so I'm drinking bracket. I don't even know what that is. So it's um, aniseed flavored liqueur that you get from Turkey. Um, you don't. I, I don't know if you can actually get it made here, but yeah, I got mine imported from Turkey from a company called Effe. Yeah, lovely, a nice aniseeded drop. You mix it with a uh, half racking, half water. Otherwise, you'd just be blotto. I think Effe actually make uh, make decent beer as well, if memory serves me right. I'm sure I've had. No, uh... that, I think that's Effe's. Oh, I missed the S off. Oh well, I'll shut up about that then. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Mags. Thanks. Could have just gone <laughs> along with it. <laughs> Could have just let people on Twitter correct me. <laughs> That's one of the the missus's um, favourite drinks when she when she goes to Turkey. That and Tuborg. Um, yeah, she'll put them away for fun. FS and Tuborg. Oh, Tuborg. Ooh, that brings up memories. But, yes, I'll save that, but, I'll save, but I'll save that for chain wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> when we have a Tuborg episode. <laughs> As soon as you're drinking something, Max, do you have a recommendation for the sommelier section where the listeners can sit back and relax and be the virtual Nia Jax slash Shayna Baszler and we'll be the virtual Reginald and recommend a drink to have while watching the show? So watching this particular show, I would recommend you drink Terps. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's... It's back in the time when, when Raw was an hour or without commercials, it's like 45 minutes. So you need something to get yourself blottoed really, really quickly. And being from Burnley, and even though I don't like them, get yourself some Benedictine. That's what you should be drinking watching this show. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm, not having, I'm not having Benedictine on this show. It's horrific. It's absolutely brutal. Rob's like half. <laughs> right, you get that Stockholm syndrome, mate. We are other half. We were in uh, we were in Brew York before uh, before a, the True Grit show, where I had to use the step counter to f- to figure out where I'd been the night uh, in the the next morning. And uh, so we're there, all these nice beers on tap, good food, readily available. Beth goes to the bar, comes back empty-handed, and then a few minutes later, out comes this lass, bless her, with four coffee cups full of steaming piss. Oh no! I bet they had to find the bottle from the back and blow all the dust off. Oh. And it'd, be, it'd been open for three years as well. Uh, well, it don't go off. It's just it's Benedictine monk piss, isn't it? It was grim. Never it drink grim. Benedictine, folks, even to get through this show. As I say, I like it, so I'm going to edit this all out, or I'm going to shuffle <laughs> your words around to say that you like it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'll know. I'll know. So what would you recommend, Dan? Uh, I've gone for a beer that I actually had recently. It was a Northern Monk, uh, part of the Patrons Project, the 1.06. It was a coffee and plum imperial stout, collaboration with Brewdog, 11%. So I've gone along with Mags to something to get you absolutely blottoed. But mainly because it's all the ingredients that I should have liked. 
And it started out all right, but ended up being just very slightly above average. Fair enough. I've gone for Pony Truck by Steambox Brewery. Other end of the scale, because it's a 3.8% pale ale. It's one that I gave 4.5 to one on taps because I had a different opinion to the show and I thought it was a, a pleasant surprise compared to some of the episodes we've reviewed lately, especially the last episode. Mm-hmm. And the reason I gave this is it was a pre- pleasant surprise because I found it in B&M Bargains where you don't expect to find decent beer. So just as I didn't expect to find a decent episode of Raw, written by Bruce Pritchard and uh, Jim Carnett, found a decent beer. So that's what I've gone with. Like Mag said about getting the bottle of Benedictine from out the back, you know, from under the radiator. Is that what they did with that beer at B&M? <laughs> it's funny what they get in, though, because one time we went in and they had a load of um, Cloudberry cider. We've got, like, we've got friends in Sweden and um, they, they love Cloudberries, but they're quite rare because they tend to grow in the Arctic Circle and the harvest can be pretty patchy. But for some reason, B&M had uh, got an absolute job load of it, so you couldn't pick it up in Sweden. So we were actually sending it back to them. Wow. Bloody hell. Fair enough. It is like a treasure trove sometimes with, with B&M. You'll go in one week and uh, you go in a totally different time and they've got totally different stuff on the shelf. So it is like potluck almost. I'll have to make a special trip because the nearest B&M to me is about a about 15-minute drive, which I'm not sure we're allowed to do at the minute we're locked down. Well, we're nearly out of it. Counting the days. Oh, I've done nothing but talk about it. That's why I'm glad for this. I want to talk some wrestling instead. <laughs> well, you'll not get much of it on this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bloody hell. So we'll just go to Beth's Beer of the Week. And Beth's Beer of the Week is Cloudy with a Chance of Hops by Wishbone. So Beth's Beer of the Week was Cloudy with a Chance of Hops by Wishbone Brewery. Uh, 5.9% New England IPA, and it looks like it's another one that she's forgot to untap. Only recently discovered Wishbones uh, actually in Keefley, so we missed that out on our uh, Tower of the Air Valley Breweries. So maybe if we do it again, Dan, we'll have to oh, uh, I'll be along. I'll go sorry. Right, count me in. I'm up for it. I don't think I've ever had that beer, so I can't. Re- <laughs> at least I can't recall it, but that's not new. Well, I, don't, I don't know if they have a tap, but... There's, there's sort of a lot of breweries within sort of a five-mile radius of that place, so might as I'll well. Just hang, I'll just hang around, around outside until they decide I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> just with an empty glass like that. Just no, I'll take a four, lonely. I'll take a four-pint growler. Oh, he had a four-pint growler a couple of episodes, and it looked like he had a, um, a bottle of screenwash. Wow. <laughs> Why is your screenwash brown and, oh. and, and that thick? <laughs> Gloopy. Yeah. <laughs> no, wonder, no, not... no wonder your missus keeps crashing if that's what you put if that's what you top to bloody wash your fluid up with. Well, don't tell the insurance company that. <laughs> so last time we left off, it was Bruce Pritchard's last episode of the his solo time in charge of creative. Since then, Vince McMahon's thought there needs to be a bit of a change. So he's once again logged into LinkedIn and is looking to see the qualities that he might have found to hire Jim Cornett for the position to do joint creative with Bruce Pritchard. So I'm just going to go through what he might have seen on LinkedIn and you guys can sort of comment whether you think this is helpful or not or something that's a good reason. Jim Cornett began working at wrestling events at the age of 14 as a photographer, ring announcer, timekeeper, magazine correspondent, and in public relations. Definitely paid his dues for long enough then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he gets a lot of grief now, uh, and he's 
he kind of just caught controversy on purpose to keep himself relevant. But yeah, he's done every job in the business, so you, you've got to give him that. He knows he knows what he's talking about. It sounds like Bruce Pritchard entry into that though, because he also started really young doing sort of any any job they'd give him. So very very similar entry. Um, then Cornet went to work for Jerry Jarrett in the CWA or the Memphis Territory. He was writing programs, magazine articles, and he goes on to become a manager for the first time. Again, yeah. just adding to the experience. And I, th- I think the manager is where he really shined uh, as an on-screen uh, talent. He really uh, helped the the teams that he was part of uh, with, with with promotion, with uh, with getting mark time. And yeah, I think he elevated pretty much every team that he worked with. Mm. What I found out as well, just looking up uh, Jim Cornette briefly, I didn't know he'd, uh, he debuted, made his management debut, uh, managing Sherry Martell. Yes. Wow. I'd love to know if there was some footage of that somewhere, because I bet that was, uh, obviously Cornette's only in his, in his infancy in that sort of role, but I bet it's a sight to see. He had this sort of gimmick where he'd sort of manage people for, you know, a match or two, and then they'd fall out and then he'd be on to the next one. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, he was, was, was kind of a rich kid fuck-up, wasn't he? Yes. I wonder if he like influenced her to like step into into management. Quite possibly, you never know. Yeah, and as we've seen from the reviews we've done for that night is wrestling podcast. You know, Sherry is was an amazing manager at the time. Possibly mm-hmm. she got a bit overlooked because of um, what Elizabeth was doing or sort of how big a draw. But certainly, um, sort of a performance at WrestleMania Seven, I think we gave her the MVP of the night. Yeah, we did. Absolutely. Yeah. So then Cornet went to work in Mid-South with the invisible hand of um, creative for Monday Night Raw, Bill Watts, managing um, the Midnight Express. So, so far, we've had Bill Watts himself. We've had Bruce Pritchard, who's worked underneath him, Jim Cornet, and we know that later Russo is going to go on and work in creative. So Bill Watts has a large shadow going over the uh, creative. Makes me wonder if, uh, if Vince saw the, uh, saw the likes of saw Bill Watts on somebody's credentials and thought... All right then, I'll give him a chance. Yeah, it's weird how he kind of like ended uh, his his like foray into wrestling with the stuff at WCW, uh, trying to like change the rules, making uh, going over the top rope illegal stuff like that. Uh, he really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way uh, at the end of his WCW career. Yeah, he, he did. did. And then he turns up in WWF and he's having shark cage matches and stuff. <laughs> 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 End of the spectrum to the other. Well, maybe he learned his lesson, as I think we said at the time when we recorded the uh, the Bill Watts episodes. Maybe he's learned his lesson and just learned to roll with it. Yeah, it's funny what you say about having a Bill Watts recommendation on the CV. Huddersfield had a manager called Mick Wadsworth, and everywhere he got a job, and he was absolutely useless everywhere he got a job. They always promoted that he was highly recommended by Bobby Robson. Not this image that he'd go around with a laminated recommendation from Bobby Robson, just going, "I know all the shit, but I've got this recommendation." Yeah, just, just, just deletes all of his CV. Just that one line, highly recommended. Dash Bobby Robson. What it was, he actually went to like you know those like week those half term football camps you used to be able to go to when uh, when you're at school. It was one of those that had Bobby Robson's name on it. It was just his certificate of completion. <laughs> yeah, just, just printed off. <laughs> yeah, and laminated. So then Cornette goes on to be a commentator in WCW, and he actually ends up on the WCW creative team in 1988, and then he leaves after Halloween Havoc 90, 
due to friction between himself and Jim Hurd. So it's pretty fair to say that um, there's friction between Jim Cornette and quite a lot of people. And maybe, maybe we'll see that in future episodes. They're not known for backing down, is he? <laughs> He's not. That is, that's the same Jim Hurd that wanted uh, Ric Flair to, to cut his hair and become Spartacus, isn't it? It is, yeah. Oh dear. So he was clearly not a good judge of uh, of wrestling chops. No, not quite. So just going back to the Bill Watts thing, I, just, I did I did have a quote from Bill Watts regarding Jim Cornette, and it was it was so obnoxious I wanted to slap him, and I knew it was instant box office if he could get me that riled up. He's not wrong though, is he? No, well it goes back to it goes back to me. I've said quite a few times I'm a cynical old wrestling fan. I can still get worked, and that's how I know it's bloody good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 1991, Jim Cornette goes on to create Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And by 1993, he's got, he has deals for working with, at different points, both WCW and WWF, for talent, talent exchanges, etc. At the same time, he's a manager in WWF. The last ever Smoky Mountain Wrestling show is on the 26th of November, 1995, and the business officially closes on the 30th of December, 95. And then he's going to come into creative on the 22nd of January, 96. So I guess it's possible that Vince could have been waiting for him to be free. Or, or do you think it's Vince offering him the job on creative that made him think, yep, yeah, I'll, I'll shut uh, Smoky Mountain then? A combination of both, I think. I think Cornet's on record as saying that that time was just a bad time to start a wrestling promotion. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'd read online that Cornet was actually sitting in here and there on creative meetings from 1993. Not obviously not a regular participant, maybe even just sat at the back. Yeah. But the point is he was there. So he already had a, he already had half a foot in the door. Yeah, so they obviously obviously recognised his uh his wrestling uh talents, his his kind of like um storytelling, I suppose. His ability to piss people off. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a good thing. That's that's what you need. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've spoken about this before, about the people who are physically in the room that might not necessarily have that much input on creative, but are clearly being groomed for the future, or at least just have, you know, an insight into it. So, yeah, was, uh, Vince Russo was in there at this point, wasn't he? Uh, well, Russo, later? Russo came in, uh, and you know, just to sit at the back and not say anything during the Bill Watts era. How and was it? It's going to be quite a while until... Well, I'll give you the context of the ratings and this will kind of explain sort of where things fall in. So Bruce Pritchard and Jim Cornette were in charge of 62 episodes of Monday Night Raw. Episode that we're looking at today was a high of 4.7, which is a record high for Monday Night Raw at the time from the first episode to now. And that was on the 8th of April, 96, although it did run unopposed. And the lowest episode was a 1.5 on the 23rd of December, 96. And if you kind of look at the ratings, there's, you can sort of split that into three periods. So you get the first 16 episodes where they have a, a slight upward trend. They get an average of 3.18 for sure. Then the next 20 episodes, there's a downward trend and they get an average of 2.35. And then at that point, after those 36 episodes, you get Russo starting to write some promos, etc. 
the trend goes back up at that point. It has an average of 2.25 that looks lower, but it's only lower because, you know, the previous 20 episodes had, had taken it to a lower point. Mm-hmm. So the ratings sort of start making a little bit of a, a push back up. The total average for all 62 episodes was um, 2.52. That compares to Bruce Pritchard before at 2.46. And then when Cornet and Russo are going to be doing creative, it goes to 2.52. That sort of gives sort of context of when they started letting Vince Russo say stuff and sort of how the ratings went in between. It's, it, I mean, just listening to those figures, uh, this episode is like in April and they're reaching the highs of almost uh, five and then eight months later, they, they're dropping down to 1.5. So there's definitely a, a huge drop there, whether that's in, in quality, whether that's not with connecting with the audience. Yeah, it'd be interesting to to find out why that drop happened so much. That's a huge drop. That's like two-thirds of your audience gone. I think it's a combination of both, a combination of WWE, because we've spoken before on this podcast, there's a contradiction in tone in, in a lot of the earlier WWF stuff where so much of it is like goofball, early like late 80s, early 90s cheese. And just the first taste of what will become the Attitude Era. So yeah. it's like they don't quite know what they're going for. They're trying to be family friendly, but they want that edge. But they can't marry the two. And also at that time as well, looking at 96, this is WCW explosion territory. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not too far off the uh, off the big move, off the outsiders, you know, off the outsiders debuting in NWO, which was just the biggest thing in the world yeah it, it drew everybody yeah and it's, i think especially with this um this one running running unopposed was uh was, was, was always going to be a big factor yeah and and then you you um you bring in the 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 big star uh who's been three years out of the company it was always going to draw ours just in terms of the context of where wcw were at the time, the next episode, we'll actually be doing our first review of the Nitro, and that was Kevin Sullivan's joint lowest at 1.9 on the 6th of May 1996, although to be fair, that Nitro had gone out early because there was a basketball game on, so mm. you, you are right, Nitro was off to the races, and certainly after that, uh, 1.9 was didn't look back for a very long time, but yeah, Raw was finding its feet, and certainly in the last episode... They were all over the place. They really were. <laughs> but it's lucky you missed that one, Max. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't oh, mind yeah. it. I quite, quite like a Magsy moon. Yeah. Uh, it, it, he's moaning about this one, and, you know, I mean, Jesus, if you think this one's bad, you should have watched last one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Monday Night Raw was filmed on the 1st of April 1996. It was matches 5, 6, 7 and 8 of a 15-match card from the Olive Pavilion in San Bernardino. There was approximately 3,000 people there. So it was a decent attendance compared to uh, some of the shows that we've reviewed recently. And it goes straight into the red and black theme again. So unfortunately, we're still not getting that Riot Top of Titan Tower entrance that we both love. Rest in peace, Riot entrance. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the uh, the theme, Max? Yeah, these are roles that I haven't gone back to watch probably hardly ever, if at all. So going back and seeing how basic 
Raw was back then was a massive, massive shock. Yeah, it was it was literally just here's the show and we're straight off to the races. No, no messing about. I love a good raw theme tune, I love a good SmackDown theme tune, but yeah, there was there was absolutely nothing like this. And it was like, oh shit, yeah, best get ready for it. But you had the you had the moody dark logo and the CGI lightning. <laughs> it it looked now like how I remember ECW looking when I watched like ECW hardcore TV and stuff like that. Like really I mean, you look at WWE's stuff now, and it's, it's production-wise, it's 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 really top draw. This looked this looked ghetto to in comparison. It's a far cry from an eight K camera. Yeah, I mean, I don't like a lot of the stuff that happens with WWE's uh, current production, the 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 cuts in cameras and all that malarkey. Really annoys me, but. Yeah, I, I still prefer it now over this kind of like dingy, smoking, kind of really darkly lit uh, programming that they did. Kevin Dunn didn't have a chance to do all the camera cuts at this point. <laughs> <laughs> they only had one, two cameras at tops, I think. <laughs> uh, but but as, as I say, it, there were so many times that they needed to pump crowd noise in because the crowds were so dead. It was, it was just mm-hmm. too busy on the noise button. Yeah, it, it was so obvious in this one as well. Uh, they, they, there were loads of times where you just spot the crowd just sat there on their hands talking away to each other, and yet the the there's massive cheers, and you think, yeah, it's that's that's definitely pumped in. The pumped in noise it makes the crowd noise pumped in now look good. Yeah, it makes it look realistic. <laughs> so we get Yokozuna coming to the ring with Mister Fuji, and Mister Fuji's got an American flag. She's probably wondering why. So. Since Vader joined Camp Cornette, there'd been friction between Yokozuna and Vader, and that led to a face turn between uh, Royal Rumble and WrestleMania 12. Yoko ends up firing Jim Cornette, and he starts speaking English, for no apparent reason, and uh, Mr. Fuji gets an American flag, so they're having a little... Even though he's still in the kimono, which is bizarre. That must have really confused rednecks. (laughs) Especially in the in uh, San Bernardino, California, they would not have been happy at that. <laughs> so then Vince is hyping the interview with the Ultimate Warrior that's coming up. Mr. Perfect saying that Raw's going to get Raw with an arm wrestling contest between the British Bulldog and Ahmed Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're also going to get Shawn Michaels, who is Vince is calling all night the leader of the new generation, versus Jerry Lawler. Diesel on commentary. He had such a hard on for Shawn Michaels, didn't he? Oh, <laughs> he did. Such a hard on for him. We've talked about it so much. There's one episode where, for no apparent reason, that we covered, one episode that we covered where, for no apparent reason, Shawn and Diesel are in the ring celebrating after a match they weren't even involved in. And Shawn's dancing on the ropes, and Vince is leaning back in his chair, shimmying in his chair, going, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you can just see the dollar signs. Yeah. 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 It was worrying. Then we get Vader coming to the ring with. Jim Carnett, and Vince says that um, Yokozuna has a 200-pound weight advantage over Vader at 400 pounds. So it just, just goes to show how big Yoko was at this point. I think he had started putting on weight at this point, especially when they'd given him this gimmick. Uh, I don't know if that's a reflection of how he thought about it. Vince also mentions that thanks to the USA Network, we'll be starting early every week. So they've started airing the episodes at 3 minutes to 9 Eastern. And the reason is that's what WCW do. So they want to combat that. 
But bear in mind, this is an episode from the 8th of April, 96. Nitro goes to one and a half hours on the 20th of May and two hours on the 27th of May. So that three-minute advantage turns into a 57-minute um, uh, disadvantage within a month. So doesn't help them that much. <laughs> Counter-programming. Oh, Cordy would love it. <laughs> <laughs> Things actually. So before, just before you get into it, I actually really like this match. I'm just going to say it straight off. It's yeah. um, it's a spectacle. Yeah, and it really made Vader like a monster. Um, really did. Yeah. It, it did exactly what it set out to do, and, and yeah. it also made Yokozuna look like a sympathetic face. He got a because of the, Yeah. <laughs> he, he also swore in English on camera as well, which is a. Uh, Something you don't really see a lot of for for Japanese Yokozuna wrestlers. <laughs> no, not much at all. But the, the fact that this was like a monster match and it was two of the biggest dudes on the roster, that, mm. to me, feels... Because obviously Cornet had part of the book. feels to me like when he was learning from Bill Watts, because Bill Watts was... Bill Watts' territory was a big guy territory. When I saw a thing with Cornet when he went in with Midnight Express, walking in and they felt like Land of the Giants because they were the smallest guys in the locker room. But I'm all for a match like this every so often. You want to see the equivalent of a kaiju battle. You know, you want to see Godzilla versus King Kong. You want to see something like Pacific Rim. And they, I thought yeah. they actually executed it way better than uh, way better than I expected. Yeah, definitely. I mean, both of them weren't exactly known for their in-ring prowess, but this did exactly what it needed to do. It wrote Yokozuna off for for a while. The, the leg break, uh, even though it, it probably didn't break his leg, it, it looked brutal the way he was doing the Veda bombs off, off the off the top rope and Cornet was helping hold the, the leg on the on the on the ropes. Yeah, I, I thought this was a really uh, well done big man match. It was, and while Yoko's there swearing and screaming about his broken leg, we get King of the Ball cut Rene Goulet coming out. So. <laughs> we certainly do. <laughs> and what one thing that really baffled me was they, they brought a splint out for, for his leg, obviously, because it's a broken leg. But it was just a part of a cardboard box taped into like a rudiment shape of his leg and then taped up around him. It was really weird. You'd think they would have at least had a proper leg splint, but no, just a cardboard box for, for poor Yokozuna. One thing I did like about this, and we've sort of discussed it before with the advertisement breaks, and Sometimes wrestling doesn't really do much to kind of give you an urgency to sit through the adverts and wait and see what happens. But, you know, you had the medical uh, staff attending Yoko and it kind of goes to break where, you know, you're hoping that the crowd and the TV audience doesn't necessarily know what's happening. And then it comes back and it's still following him there. So Mm -hmm. I did feel there was a bit of a hook to maybe keep people invested and come back rather than, you know, I'm going to flip over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then they brought out uh, a forklift because uh, if you're ever going to really embarrass a big fat bloke, it's uh, shifting him very, very slowly on a green forklift all the way through Gorilla, all the way past catering. Yeah, well, this was not a good look for, for Yokozuna at all. I you felt really, that. really sorry for him. You say that. I Well, that, that adds to the sympathy factor. Rob was talking about, but I was looking at it thinking that is either one of the most embarrassing things you can do to someone or it's a harsh reality because you're going to need a big old gurney. Yeah. A big old well, green gurney. Well, they brought a gurney out. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, yeah. So I was, I was kind of torn because I was looking at it going, if you tried that nowadays, 
on on a wrestling show, you'd more than likely get absolutely panned for it. But also, this guy is six hundred pounds. If he's bust a leg, there's no way one of his own legs is holding him. You, no. You're not going to have the specialist equipment on site to to shift him. What becomes the only way? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean. It- and it absolutely makes sense, and and maybe uh, there was some sort of that un uh, like unconscious point of 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 really showing him, look, you need to do something about this because they've given him chance after chance. They'd uh, they taken him off TV and and sent him to to uh, like uh, essentially fat camps a, a couple of times, but he just kept piling on and piling on the weight. So maybe there was like a little. This was like a little subtle hint to him saying, look, this is how how bad it's getting you need to to sort something out you need to really think about uh cut dropping this way um so but yeah I, I totally agree with you it was something that needed to to happen to to really hammer on the point that he'd got a broken leg and there was no shifting him but i just felt so embarrassed for for the guy mm. so did he spot anyone when he was going through gorilla position sort of hiding around in the background nope I saw there was a big group, like all like, all the chairs around in a circle, but I didn't really pick out any any uh, names or faces. I saw um, Jake Roberts and Jim Ross hanging around, and randomly there was a basketball hoop in gorilla position. And I've just got this image that the wrestlers are there just playing uh, donkey or something. <laughs> <waiting for them. laughs> I thought that was great. And it wasn't like it was a basketball arena either. It was one of those ones that you just move around, you know, you get a school or something. But... <laughs> little tiny one that you have over a bin. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to say as well, we, we kind of glossed over it at the intro, but um, Mr. Perfect on commentary. Mm, we've, got yeah. no, we've got no Jerry Lawler bullshit. Ah, but that's because we'll see him later on in the show. Yeah, but at least he's not, at least he's not chatting his usual bollocks at us. And uh, Perfect actually... I can't remember if it was specifically through this match, but throughout the show, he actually does quite a good job of keeping Vince in check a little bit because Vince obviously mm-hmm. goes on his hype trains and all that. But Perfect will come in with some sort of dry cutting remark or something like that and just bring him down a notch. Yeah, and uh, I think it was actually in this uh, Vader and Yokozuna match. I think Yokozuna does like a, a rock bottom. I think he's like a rock bottom. And Vince is like, oh my God, what a suplex. Oh, what a maneuver. <laughs> And I was like, "Yes, he said it. We've got it. We've got the water maneuver." But it was like, yeah, it was like a Uranagi or something, wasn't it? Or yeah, some of that ilk, yeah. But um, again, with those moves like that on a guy as big as Vader, because I spent a lot of years not think, to be honest, thinking Vader was shit, and never really gave a crap about Yoko. But over the years, through watching more Vader matches and going back, and then watching the '90s stuff, you know, for this podcast and for that '90s wrestling podcast, I really did Yoko a disservice and Vader. Vader was really good in WCW in about 1992. Mm. I know that's it was a good uh, year for the WWF, but I think it was also a pretty decent year for WCW. Vader Cactus Jack. His New Japan stuff is really good as well. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've seen the huge mask and shoulder pads that he had, which I always thought, which I thought looked dead cool. Yeah. But no, and it's something, again, I need to go back and watch. It's like uh, when, uh, in fact, when last time I was on Badlands Mags and we were mentioning about China being in. Uh, in New Japan. I need to go back and find that as well. <laughs> but yeah, really enjoyed this opener. It was a really solid start to the show. I'm just going to crack a can for... Uh, we don't get it on the audio. or spill it everywhere. <laughs> I thought you muted yourself. That's why I just kept waffling. Oh, I couldn't done. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's got to stay in now. Yeah. Oh, well. Never mind. Technology, eh? 
So then we get Vince in the ring and he just says he's back and we get the biggest pop that we've had on any of the shows that we've reviewed so far for The Ultimate Warrior. And you're probably wondering where The Ultimate Warrior has been. So chemist Mauro DePasque claims that The Ultimate Warrior failed a drug test uh, in September 1992. Vince claims that he, he wasn't taking drugs, it was human growth hormone, although one's a doctor of chemistry and one isn't. <laughs> one is a wrestling promoter. So the Warrior had been away, obviously, following that. He'd opened the shortly-lived Warrior University, which was a wrestling school. It's a, it's a, it's a shame it wasn't a university. I, I was really hoping it would have been like the uh, University of Football in Burnley or something. <laughs> Trump University. Can you imagine getting a diploma from Warrior University and using it on a job application? Uh, that would be crayon. <laughs> written in fucking crayon and it just... <laughs> Just be just be a picture of his face paint, and then just say X did this. Yeah. <laughs> so then he goes on to work a handful of in- indies. He works for Kilikowski's IWF, the National Wrestling Council, and Otto Vance's CWF. He returns at WrestleMania uh, 12 to face Triple H, and then this is obviously his debut episode on Monday Night Raw. So his return was on the 31st of March '96. He's let go before the 21st of July, 96, in the run-up to In Your House 9, where he's supposed to have a match with Ahmed Johnson and Shawn Michaels versus the British Bulldog Owen Hart and Vader, who's replaced by Sid. And he's basically... Uh, well, he's, he's let go because the warrior says that he needs time off to grieve the death of his father. Vince McMahon doesn't buy this because he says the warrior hasn't spoken to his father in 10 years. Although maybe it's a bit difficult to comment on people's grief, etc. But Vince certainly wasn't having it, especially after all the problems they'd had previously and holding up for extra money, etc. Seems like a very Vince thing to do. He doesn't believe in emotions. No. I don't give a crap. I don't give a crap what you're feeling. I need you, damn it. <laughs> I mean, this is probably a guy who didn't go to his own dad's funeral, so he's not going to let somebody's talent go to theirs. Well, he let, having... he let Big Show go to Bossman's dad's funeral. <laughs> he, he did. Other it. <laughs> it was other way around. It was Bossman. It was Big Show's dad. He was actually been dead for like two years, apparently. <laughs> he did actually take his first week off Raw in as long as anyone can remember when his brother died. So I, I don't know if it that was because his brother had died or another reason. Just a, a, a happy coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> So we're in the ring, the warrior gets pyro. Vince asks where the warrior's been for three long years, and we get the shouty warrior 80s cocaine type promo that he's famous for. He's been deep in his own mind. He's been laying the where no man can go. <laughs> <laughs> he's been laying the groundwork for Randy Orton's gimmick. He's been sat at home listening to the voices in his head. <laughs> And the voice has never stopped. Oh, dear warrior, get help. <laughs> and he says that all of the crowd spoke to him and he gets another standing ovation. And then we get Goldust and Marlena coming down to the ring. Goldust, at this point, is the Intercontinental Champion and is going to face the Ultimate Warrior in your house seven. Mm-hmm. And, and that, how good did that belt look on a gold strap, though? It really suited him. It did. It did. I mean, that that's... That's like the classic Intercontinental Championship belt. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly my favourite. 
I know people have different opinions, but... No, I agree. Uh, I mean, I prefer the one with the red block WWF logo, but this is essentially the same belt. It's just been cleaned off with brass or bar. bar. Uh, Macho Man. I was watching MLW today, and Richard Holiday is the Caribbean champion of, I think it's Carlos Colon's promotion, um, and it's basically an Intercontinental Championship belt. It's just got some stickers over the top. <laughs> I, I remember watching um, Tito Ortiz facing um, Alberto Del Patron in a in an MMA uh, fight, and the belt that they were fighting for was was an old spinner belt that uh, that Alberto had. had. When you say he had it, do you mean he just nabbed it on his way out? Or well, I think I think he won the belt, but just <laughs> kept it. <laughs> but yeah, that was the belt that was on the line. Oh dearie me. But yeah, the gold dust at this point looked with that robe on and the wig and all of that and Marlena with him. Just what a look, especially at, what a look, especially at that time. Nothing else like gold dust about. I thought he was fantastic in this promo. Yeah, and God, didn't he tower over Warrior as well? I didn't realize just how tall he was until you see him and Warrior like face to face. Yeah, Warrior's like Warrior's what about? Must be about six four, six five. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Goldust there, six 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 seven. Yeah, it's like making making roller, making himself look like a giant, even almost more than he does today. Because someone like Warrior, you expect to just just the size, you know, the size of him, the bulk, the mass on him, you expect him to dwarf everybody. Yet here comes Goldust, like shit, you know. <laughs> and and his promo uh, really kind of wound Warrior up. You could tell Warrior was not into this feud whatsoever. His kind of casual homophobia came out a little bit. Whatever you guys get up to, uh, that's your business. But basically, don't involve me in that shit. <laughs> it was when Warrior was saying he wanted to wanted to climb, or uh, when Goldus was saying he wanted to climb on Warrior and ride him into the sunset. Yeah. <laughs> we'll fly away somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like he wanted him to role play a Superman, didn't they? But in in terms of him saying shit, I mean that that one got bleated, but there was some swearing on the show, which certainly is the first time you know in the episodes that we've been reviewing that they've they've been swearing. You can feel that it, it's it's becoming a more edgy product. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you, you catch uh, Yorkzuna at the when he's selling the the legendary, he swears a couple of times um, in English as well. So yeah, they they didn't quite catch all the bleeps. Yeah, I, st- I still don't understand Warrior promos. Like I said about changing my mind on Yokozuna and Vader, I still I go back to Warrior promos and I just sit there and think, what the fuck are you talking about? Actually, this whole segment I compared to the movie Sucker Punch, where I watched that film in the cinema, and I came out and I was just like, well, I was definitely entertained, but I'm not sure what happened and I'm not quite <laughs> sure why. But some of that I really enjoyed. And I think the some of it that I enjoyed was, was gold dust. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know you guys have rated the crowd response less than I have, and even I put it like second lowest, but the crowd here, it was so refreshing from the shows that we've watched to see a crowd that's completely engaged with what's happening. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's mm. the you know nostalgia pop from what, what he's done previously or whatever, but they were absolutely on fire, and we just don't get these on the rows of this era, so that was brilliant. Yeah, you're right. Definitely, it definitely stood out. Definitely, he's like, oh, people are actually standing up. We've not, we've not seen that except in the uh, the one match that was aired on an episode of Raw that wasn't from a Raw. It was the <laughs> the Brett v Bulldog in your house main event that they replayed. Yeah, which which was brilliant. 
So then next we're getting Vince hyping the arm wrestling match and Shawn Michaels versus Jerry Lawler. And then we cut to Yoko, who's still on the forklift. Again, as you've said before, we hear him swear without any beeping. And then Vader comes out and attacks his leg with a chair. And if you ever need anyone to break up a fight, don't ask Rene Goulet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was a a brilliant way to rubber stamp that that Vader is a a big, beefy badass and really kind of pushing for that number one heel spot in the company. He just comes back and just demolishes Yoko again, knocks him off the pallet, knocks him onto the floor. Yeah, again, great, great storytelling. And yet more sympathy for Yoko as well when Vader's just looming over him after battering him with the chair, just <laughs> screaming in his face. Yeah. That that really that was really a nice little touch. Yeah. And the one thing I did like about this is they kind of kept that thread going throughout the show. They're getting a bit better at it now, but certainly in recent years there'd been this tendency of, on Raw to do something and then just forget about it for the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. That, that wouldn't happen in real life and you know obviously there is this sort of issue and they keep referring back to it so i did enjoy that and then next we get hunter hurst helmsley in the ring and he's having his shirt removed by one of the valets of the week that was obnoxious i did try and find out who she was and, and i couldn't at all because i think they just you know maybe got extras or whatever but i did find there, there was one i haven't written the name down but she was on imdb and the only thing she had on was being triple h's valet wow. so she's done it for like one episode of raw and like i'm an actress now <laughs> and got no work from it <laughs> <laughs> what did she do fuck did she do the robe up instead of take it off yeah <laughs> <laughs> so then we get triple h versus duke the dumpster drossy and Duke the Drums Dorsey runs out and he's absolutely on fire for uh, this match and he attacks Triple H. We get a picture-in-picture picture of Triple H harassing Stable in the crowd last week. He's blaming her for his loss to the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania when she'd been the Valet of the Week. Stable slaps him and then Mark Marrow comes to quote-unquote rescue Stable, although she looked perfectly fine and able to deal with the situation herself. Yeah, she'd already <laughs> sorted it. He came out to simp for Sable, basically. <laughs> I'll save you, love. I'll save you. Oh, you've already decked him. Yeah. I'm still here to save you. <laughs> they get signed together. They're married at this point. And you get a lot of talk about how, you know, he, he didn't maybe get a fair crack of the whip and how she went onto the big star. And people often talk about that sort of later on. But you can see right here from the start, they're making him look useless. Yeah. Mm. Oh, definitely. And then he has that uh, little picture-in-picture promo during the match as well, where, yeah, the the lighting on that promo looked terrible. It was such a a cookie-cutter promo, and the way that they didn't edit it properly as well, because it was, was, uh, at the end, he he does, like, the the woo face almost, and he has to hold it for about five seconds until the camera cuts off. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that was not good production. It was that I, bad, I'd forgotten about it. <laughs> I thought it made him look really creepy. You know, it, it did. It re- the lighting was horrid. And with that moustache as well, it, it was not a... It, it was almost like a sex offender-style moustache. If someone had told you that was a Whale and Mercy promo or something, you'd have believed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> During the match, Vince says that the preview channel got the highest ratings of a show it's had in its history for the showing of the Slammy Awards. And Mr. Perfect explains that's because Sonny won the best Bones Slammy. 
and then Vince had to add, oh no, she also won the best manager as well. Although oh. I, I think it goes goes to show though how over Sonny was at this point. Mm-hmm. And and maybe there was an element of objectifying her and stuff. But you know, people sort of look at Sonny as a bit of a joke these days. But she was incredibly popular at the time, you know, the the most searched woman on AOL, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Most downloaded uh, picture on on the internet for for a long while. Yeah, I mean, she was. This was a period where the the some of the valets were bigger stars than the actual wrestlers. Mm. And that sort of thing's kind of the, what I what I mean when I say that they were figuring out the the beginnings of the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. Part of that being rightly or wrongly at that time point in history, sex sold. Yeah, and that's what drew people in. And and their age of the fan base was was growing as well. Yeah, mature. Yeah, maturing, and the product needed to mature along with them. Admittedly, a lot of it was, you know, frat house bullshit. But at that time, it's what it's what was popular. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing about Sunny was it wasn't necessarily just the sex appeal sort of side to it. She she was incredibly charismatic, but she was a decent manager as well. You know, she she was, mm. you know, she, she'd give Skip's opponents the dogs abuse. That that match that we reviewed, the Genetti Skip match, was absolutely brilliant. Sort of how she was playing off Genetti and stuff. You know, she wasn't just a pretty face. So mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of gets overlooked uh, these days. But what did you think to the match as a whole? Do you know? I thought this was was a really good match. I really enjoyed it. I thought uh, Drozzy. I mean, I don't remember a lot of Duke the Drumster Drozzy's uh, stuff, but he reminded me of a, a slimmer uh, Luke Gallows. He really could move for a, for a big chap. He had some really good power moves. The the the, the trash compactor. Uh, even though we didn't really uh, really get to see it properly in this, uh, is I, I think that's a really really cool move. But yeah, I think he had a really good showing. Obviously, Triple H was the guy going forward uh, and, and picked up the win. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed this match. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by it as well, especially by Drozzy, because when he came out, I thought the whole gimmick was, at this point, starting to feel outdated. You know, the whole career gimmick yeah. was starting to go downhill. But I very quickly forgot that he's meant to be, you know, he's meant to be a garbage man. And he, Duke Drozzy is a much better wrestler than I ever remember him being as a kid. Mm-hmm. I know Triple H had the whole rich snob gimmick, but that's done the right way. That's kind of timeless. Yeah. It's like MJF still doing it now and getting great plaudits for it. But um, Drozzy actually actually kind of blew me away. I remember he, he did the big the big overhead press, which I'm always impressed by. And I might just see, to see someone else lift another fully grown man above the head is always impressive to me for some reason. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm like, the, the one thing I did notice though, halfway through, there was a blonde woman in the crowd right near the front, who was stood with her back to the ring for the whole time. And I was just looking at her saying, what is she doing? Is she, it, it looked like she was messing around with a bag or a coat or something, because she was stood by, right in front of one of the seats. And I just kept getting distracted by thinking, what are you doing? What are you actually doing? And then she crouched down halfway through, and I realised she was security. <laughs> but she, she just... It was, it was mostly when Triple H was on the offence, because I found him quite boring in this match. Uh, but I just kept getting distracted by her in the front row. I'm like, what, what is she fucking about with people? That people behind her must be really pissed off by now. It's a weird thing to pick up on, but that's how my brain works. What I picked up on with the with the crowd is how many people wore things on the head. There was loads of people with like lucha masks. A bloke who had a, a white bag literally over his head with a, with eyes and a mouth cut out. Yeah, 
wrestling fans in the in the mid nineties were weird, weird people. So you couldn't tell they were actually part of the crew. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that white bag was, Max? And and this is a fabulous Easter egg. That was a Burger King bag. And bear in mind, we've got Jerry Lawler later on. And the show is sponsored by Burger King. Ah. A lovely little sort of Easter egg in there. You know they've told someone to do that then. They've set that up. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. I did ironic, not... ironic that Burger King uh, have not had the best of weeks on social media this week. No fucking idiots. <laughs> Uh, the, the one thing I did notice in the crowd was there was a guy with a sign saying, bring back Conquistadors 1 and 2. <laughs> They'll be back in about 10 years, mate, don't you, worry. No, but I, I thought this was a really good match. And I think Drosty had lost quite a lot of weight since you'd seen him before. It, it, maybe he's thinking, well, you know, I'm in this crazy job gimmick, but I'm going to, you know, have a look at my career and try and change something and change it up. Uh, he, he did look completely different, and as I say, he, he seemed to have a lot of sort of passion and drive in the match, which you know is all he can ask for, really. Yeah, he, he, if he wasn't uh, lumbered with this uh, this bin man gimmick, he could have gone a lot further in his in his uh, WWF WWF career than he did. If only they'd give him like a little burglar mask and a and a striped <laughs> top, eh, Max? Now that. That would have sold. That would, I mean, to the repo men, that would have been a brilliant tag team. <laughs> Literally one person thinks that. And I'll, and I'll take that to my grave. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get a video from last week featuring The Undertaker versus Bradshaw. And Mankind's uh, returned after his debut and attacks The Undertaker. And then we get the British Bulldog and Owen Hart coming out to the ring in preparation for the arm wrestling match. We've got Diana Smith in the crowd looking as surly as she did in your house five. And then we, we go again to Yoko, who's trying to get into the ambulances, screaming in pain. And uh, Mr. Perfect is speculating that we may never see Yoko Zuna again. And he makes a free willy joke. <laughs> which is the closest thing to a topical movie reference that we've had on this podcast so far. <laughs> it's only, uh, only two years out of date. That's really good, because they're normally about 20 years. You know, they were talking about Sonny and Cher at one point, weren't they? So, <laughs> yeah. Although Vince did chastise Perfect again, though. When uh, you know, when Perfect said, oh, it's like, it's like watching Free Willy, I'm pretty sure Vince just he, he tried to do like a Gorilla Monsoon, will you stop? Oh, will <laughs> you stop? <laughs> they were both doing it with each other through this show. One would say something shit on commentary, and the other would just roll their eyes and you know take them to task. Which is a lot better than previous weeks when we've just had Lawler's bullshit getting unchecked, you know. Oh, fucking hell. I, th- I think they work really well as a country team, uh, Perfect and Vincent. I don't like it to be a, a more of a long-term thing. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a much better pairing. It, it's just night and day. And I know Jerry Lawler was on commentary for a long time and whatever, but yeah, the... It would have it would have done better for the show to have had um, perfect and McMahon definitely. So then we go to the arm wrestling match. So Owen Hart's there in the ring. He's saying that Ahmed Johnson has too much oil on him, uh, which is against regulations. Uh, and this is just ridiculous because everybody <laughs> in that ring is really oily. And this yeah. show isn't just sponsored by Burger King. It's sponsored by Castrol GTX. 
that was brilliant. That just Vince coming out of like talking about the match and oh, by the way, put cash on GTX in your engine. It just beggars belief that the that those were the the companies that that sponsored at the time. But yeah, Owen in this was. I, for me, it floated on the line of being entertaining and and it being annoying and taking too much time up. I get that they they're pushing Ahmed as being hugely strong, but he was threatened by the referee about four or five times. One more time, and you're out of here. And it it, it kept on doing it until he eventually got kicked out of the uh, out of the ringside. I think if that had gone on gone on for ten twenty more seconds. I'd have really lost patience with it. But Owen was entertaining enough being just that narky, horrible little bastard that it, it carried it through. Because I'm there, will you just fucking start? For God's sake, I just want to get it done. I'm not bothered about arm wrestling. But then, obviously, you realise that's what Owen's there to do. He's there to rile you up. He's, yeah. there, to be the, he's there to add the entertainment value because fuck knows it's not in the arm wrestling. And it's uh, you could put again. You could see the crowd sitting on the hands. It translated well on TV. It didn't translate well live. Oh no! no. I, I think the, I think the exact opposite. The crowd. I thought there was a massive reaction from the crowd. I've, I've I've even put in my notes that the crowd like arm wrestling more than wrestling. Maybe we should just do arm wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the only pop. I thought the only pop because Owen left. <laughs> no, they, they were they, they were popping during. Well, they definitely popped when Owen left. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, the thing about Owen that I thought was great was that at this period, he's like being the workhorse of the tag team division with Yoko, and then he's, you know, transitioning into tagging with Bulldog and his single stuff mm-hmm. and whatever. And he's that in ring technician, and he's always got Cornet there cutting the promos for him. But this allowed him to sort of shine on his own, sort mm-hmm. of in a promo or, you know, that, that sort of style. So I, I thought that was brilliant because we didn't really get to see that much of this side of him at this point yeah it was really kind of a this was like the genesis of the 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 black heart weren't it uh, coming out of like being the rocket and and being uh, having the the uh, parachute pants to to being a serious heel wrestler yeah definitely definitely i thought i thought we'd re- we really saw him sort of grow at this period so ahmed johnson goes on to win the arm wrestling match and then Bulldog attacks him with a chair and he throws him into the corner and uh, Ahmed completely bounces off and Bulldog's getting some real heel, heel heat and it cuts to a picture of Diana and she's just sat in the crowd looking surly. Yeah. It, when, when it cut to Diane, um, I don't think she was watching the same thing that we were watching because that's not how you would react. Uh, I think they maybe filmed those like previously, or, or or just like edited them in because yeah, she was just kept biting her lip and like looking and squashing her eyebrows, and you were like, this is not how you would react if your your husband was beating the shit out of somebody, surely. Maybe, maybe what happened is you know when you're a kid and your parents tell you if you keep making faces, it'll stick like that. Yeah, if the wind changes, if the wind changes, your face will stick like that. Maybe, just maybe, that's what happened with Diana. But what I'm going to have to do now is go back and, and watch and double-check. Every time they cut to Diana, make sure she's wearing the same clothes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I didn't... Uh, well, a couple of things that I noticed in this uh, segment was just how big Ahmed Johnson was compared to Bulldog in terms of like, um, 
arm muscles. It just it just totally overshadowed him. And this was like coming from when people thought Bulldog was one of the strongest in 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 the company. Um, obviously, he's he's lost a lot of uh, of mass, but Jesus Christ, uh, Ahmed Johnson was was huge. And the table, did they ship that in from Japan? Because that table did not want to break. The legs gave up before the wood gave up. It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes it look that much more brutal. Mm-hmm. Presumably because it is. <laughs> and and I've got to give Owen his props because after Arme was, was slammed into the table a couple of times, it was very, very greasy. So uh, perhaps he was right that... Uh, that Ahmed had used a lot of uh, oil to give himself a bit of advantage in gaining leverage. What they never told you was, though, that the, the show was sponsored by Castrol GTX, <laughs> but Ahmed Johnson has shares in Filippo Berrio. Ah, or you'd think it being Johnson & Johnson's baby oil. Yeah, I wanted to say Filippo Berrio. Because so. you're a classy, that's why. <laughs> no, it's just the... Uh, just, it, I don't know. I'm tired, leave me alone. <laughs> The Bulldog may well have had um, shares in Pedigree Chum, if uh, what's rumoured to have happened yes. is, uh, is to be believed. So, uh, and and just... to hear that, listen to uh, that Nancy's Wrestling Podcast with James, because he's got a bit of a scoop. Pooper scoop, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we won't steal his funder, even though <laughs> we're going to be about eight weeks behind, so <laughs> there's no way it's going to steal his funder. <laughs> So then we get highlights from WrestleMania 12. It's Doc Hendricks doing a voiceover. It shows Goldust versus Piper. So we discussed previously that when Bruce Pritchard had come into creative, his brilliant idea was that he wanted a match between OJ Simpson and Roddy Piper. Obviously, that isn't going to happen, so he's changed that into Goldust versus Piper. We get Salvio Vega and Stone Cold, and they're saying that next week there's going to be Salvio Vega versus Goldust. And then we get Diesel coming out, and he's wearing a Shawn Michaels T-shirt, and he's on his way to commentary. I did like the fake out of the handshake for McMahon. As far as that gag goes, and as dated as it is, it's always funny to see it done to McMahon. <laughs> but it wasn't McMahon's day, um, because then he, he, McMahon starts promoting the house shows, and after a while, Mr. Perfect says, that's enough, McMahon. promoting <laughs> <laughs> the house shows. <laughs> Perfect, really just relishing talking shit to his boss. Yeah. So then we get the title match. It's Jerry the King Lawler versus the leader of the new generation, Shawn Michaels. I'll give him yeah. credit. It's better than two dudes with attitudes, isn't it? It's marginally better, Dan. Uh, you, you only think it's good because you've heard two dudes with attitude. <laughs> I, I, I've got to hear that. I think the crowd was quite hot for Shawn. I don't think they were warrior or arm wrestling hot for Shawn, but they, they were, there was a decent response for him. Yeah, especially when he played up to the crowd and he was looking in all, all the corners, getting that kind of that Hogan-style um, chant. But, yeah, uh, this was one of the periods where you could tell that they'd parked some audio in, though, because when uh, you got those like panning camera shots, you could see people literally sat there, uh, nobody's uh, nobody's cheering, but then the there's cheering coming through on the audio. So whilst I, got, I think he did get a pop it wasn't as big as the audio kind of met out and yet even though it wasn't a massive pop i think michael's entrance was actually the best part of the match for me most lively anyway (laughs) yeah i I thought this was a very sort of it felt like a very indie type of match you know you had jerry lawler sort of 
boasting to the crowd and then missing punches, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I could easily have seen this going over on the camps, that kind of thing. It didn't feel WWF, if that makes sense. It was a yeah. Lola match. Yeah, it was a definite Lola-style match, uh, creeping up to the, the referee and telling him to, to stay in the corner and stuff like that, um, reaching into his tarts. I don't even think he pulled anything out. It just because it, it, the camera zoomed in onto his hand and it didn't look like he had anything in his hand. And then when he put it back, it was there was no lump like in his tarts. But the the spot worked perfectly, and uh, the way he kind of like goaded uh, Shawn Michaels into a, a test of strength, clearly adding something in his, uh, with the way he kept his arm behind and 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 and, and got the the shot off. But yeah, it was it, it was a, a very typical Jerry Lawler style match. Yeah, it just took all the just took whatever wind was left in the sails out of the show for me. I just I'll be honest, I was sat there bored out of my school for most of it for that match. I didn't mind it too much. I mean, you had a guy in the crowd with a bring back Jameson sign. Yeah, I saw that as well. <laughs> yeah. It just made me want a whiskey. I don't know who Jameson is. You do. Oh, um, you do. Oh, I, it was with the bushwhackers. He had the, the cell taped up glasses and chewing on a sock. Yeah, he's Greasy air, you'll we've watched his, his show. He was on, was it on WrestleMania? He was on he's, WrestleMania, I'm sure. He's on Royal oh, Rumble. It was months ago. I've drank Royal since Rumble, then. yeah, Royal Rumble. Well, Royal Rumble 92, Dan. So this week, when you're recording for that night's wrestling podcast, you'll be talking <laughs> about Jameson chewing his, yes. stra- his sock. I'll have, forget, I'll have forgotten him again by this time next week. <laughs> That's due to an unrelated drinking problem. <laughs> Pot on kettle as he raises a beer to his gob. <laughs> but I think what what made this match more than the actual in ring though was was Diesel on commentary. I thought he was so smarmy. I loved it. How it was so witty. This was Kevin Nash before he became kind of Kevin Nash. If you, if you the like, transition from from uh, Big Daddy Diesel to Actual Kevin Nash thought it was brilliant. The way they like they brought in like the mentions of, the, of everybody's in the click uh, and stuff like that, like giving you all like the 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 little nit bits from from backstage. I thought this was really good, and it, I don't think it's that long before he actually he's uh, disappears from uh, from WWF. So he, there's even like little hints in that uh, where he's saying, uh, "Oh, you don't know me, Vince, do you? and stuff like that. And you're thinking, "Yeah, he don't," because you're going to say outside a contract, then I'll be off. So yeah, I thought he added to the match. And the, the, it was a brilliant thing when they, they had a picture-in-picture of showing Diesel turning on Sean at Madison Square Garden, where he hits him with a chair, and Diesel says on commentary that Sean had said to him they had a couple of vertebrae out and he was just trying to help him put them back in. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we're looking at this and we're talking about the commentary and we're talking about the picture-in-picture replay. Everything around the match was decent, but the match itself, that was, you know, it, it didn't didn't make me like the match anymore. <laughs> I, I I didn't think the match was terrible. It was it did what it needed to do. It, it furthered the the feud between Diesel and Shawn Michaels. I thought the ending was clever, where Shawn eyeballed Diesel when he was getting the pin. That kind of like like rubbing it into his face. But yeah, I get what you mean. That this was not a match that you would think would would uh, headline a Raw. It was by no means the worst thing in the world. It was by no means the worst thing we've watched on this show, to be honest. Um, <laughs> But it was 
with two guys of the reputations of Michaels and Lawler. I don't know, I was just expecting a bit more, even though you kind of know what you're getting from a Lawler match. I was expecting Michaels to kind of elevate it a little bit. And what I got was something that was just just below average for me. I say I, I quite liked it. I mean, it was that kind of indie style. You know, as I say, you'd expect it at perhaps one of the less work-rate indies, maybe more of a kid's show, that kind of thing. But I think it was all right for what it was. I didn't really have a problem with it. And then we get the um, scenario afterwards where, as you say, Diesel and Sean face off and then Perfect distracts Sean and throws the belt in and Diesel knocks him out with the championship belt and lays it on him. So obviously we've, we've set up, you know, for the feud going forward. Yeah, I did quite like that. I did quite like that ending with the, with Perfect throwing the belt, Diesel clocks him. Great way, great way to end a show. If, if you're a Michaels fan, you want to know he's going to get his revenge. Mm-hmm. If you're a Diesel's fan, you want to see Sean... Sean go at him, so I can't really fault that that very end segment. Yeah. So, so Max, what do you think to the show overall? Now, if I'm comparing it with what I watch on a regular basis now, it's terrible. It is absolutely terrible. But taking it as a, as, as a part of what was happening in wrestling at the time... Um, the way they were transitioning, and like like Dan said a couple of times, the the kind of like early pointers towards the 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 attitude era, and that was the era of wrestling that I was the most heavily in, invested in. I've got to say, I enjoyed it. I really thought this was a, a good throwback. The production was terrible. the The commentary was 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 probably the best bit for me. The in-ring stuff was was awful, but I I had fun watching it. So I'd I'd say it's got to be at least a B show for me. Yeah, and in a minute we'll ask you for a grade out of ten, but we'll come back. Oh, well. <laughs> there we no, go. <laughs> no, you're going to have to translate that, and, and Dan's going to go into the longest uh, monologue when we get to that point. I um, didn't fuck up the format this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the show. I thought Vader was made to look like an absolute uh, monster, and um, you know, with the injury to Yoko. I thought, I thought the arm wrestling was a lot of fun. I thought the crowd were up for it. The, the Warrior re-debut, the crowd were really up for it. You know, it's something sort of exciting on the show. And, you know, I think the crowd were into Sean being champion, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I thought, I thought it was a decent show. The, 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 probably the turn in the punch ball was, was Triple H. Yeah. <laughs> One off. I didn't mind, didn't mind that match, though. I thought... I thought no. uh, Duke the Joss. match was was decent. I thought Duke, uh, Duke came out of that match looking better than than Triple H did. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What do you think, Dan? Uh, it it started out really strong. I've made no secret that I really liked that opening match. The the clash of the titans sort of thing going was was brilliant. And then you play out that injury angle throughout the show, which, as you say, Rob, from what we've been watching so far, we've never really seen him do. Uh, so that was unique. Enjoyed that. The Warrior and Gold Dust promo, as I said before, I, w- I came out of it wondering why exactly I was entertained and what I was entertained by, but I wanted to see more of the storyline. So that's, you know, it's a net gain overall. Like we just said, Duke Drosy came out of the match looking looking brilliant. The match itself was it was fine. It, it was a it was a it was a good wrestling match. It was nothing special. The arm wrestling segment just Killed a lot of the momentum of the show for me. Owen was a highlight, but I think we we must have been watching two different shows because I don't recall seeing too much from the crowd on uh, on that one. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention properly. Uh, the beat down after recovered a little bit of it. That we you know with the tables not breaking, 
that always sort of gets me, uh, you know, gets my attention, really. The main event was fine. Just a, you know, below, just below average. Like Drozzi's gimmick, Lawler at this point was already starting to feel outdated. It just, it was like Jerry Lawler main event in a row in '96, really, on the highest, on the highest rated show of this era. It that completely baffled baffled me. It's like there's methodically paced matches that can be enthralling, and then there's this. It just, just did not land for me. And so yeah, I think with the, the high rating, obviously we've mentioned it before. It was a captive audience. You want to watch wrestling on a Monday night this week? You've only got Raw. <laughs> Go for it. And like I say, they started out strong and just just petered out a wee bit for me. Yeah. Cool. So we're at the awards section of the show. So, Mags, who would you give match of the night? So? For, I mean, in terms of wrestling, it was probably not the best match, but for, for what it meant in in terms of uh, storyline and going forward, I thought that uh, Yorkshire versus Vader did exactly what it needed to do. Uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd say that that was my favourite match of the night. It made Vader look like an absolute monster, uh, being able to, to fell a 650-pound uh, Yokozuna. It, it made Yokozuna look sympathetic. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd go with that, Yoko versus Vader. Yeah, I've gone the same as, same as Max for pretty much the same reason. I made no, mis- uh, made no bones about it before on, on this podcast and others. I love a you know, big lads match. and This was something different even as far as big lads matches go. Because you've got somebody like Yoko who has these bursts of agility and and power moves and and whatnot and yeah it really just hit the mark. Yoko's selling in the match was brilliant. Vader looked an absolute monster. The story dominated half, at least probably about just over half the show. Yeah, Vader versus Yoko for me. Yeah, and I'd agree. You know, we've got a clean sweep. You know, especially sort of how Yoko was selling it afterwards, and it was a thread throughout. Out the show, it definitely was sort of building for the future and made Vader look like a monster. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, three out of three. Uh, MVP of the night, night Mags? <sighs> that forklift, probably. Um, <laughs> hmm, for me, I think it, it's got to be perfect. Mr. Perfect on, on uh, commentary. It was refreshing. It kept Vince in his place. He was witty kept the the he, he kept the show flowing really well so yeah i think i've got to go off with mr perfect nice pick lads perfect i actually really did consider perfect because it was as we said before it was such a breath of fresh air to have a commentator who'd rather than try and match vince's energy would just try and bring him down a couple of notches and not have it be so crazy uh, but i've given my mvp of the night to yokozuna for making vader look an absolute monster when it, whenever i see a guy the size of yoko willing to throw himself about like that and take those bumps and it and even falling off the forklift a guy that big it just feels like he's gonna hurt himself mm-hmm. more than more than any you know more than any wrestler does when they're taking a bump and just the willingness and ability to do that and not just absolutely kill himself and then obviously the storyline advancement as well i thought was really good i would give it to owen hart i know perhaps it was a little bit too much for you guys but i i did enjoy sort of the promos he was doing sort of playing that heel character in the arm wrestling. And as I say, it's a, it's a different side of Owen that we didn't see that much of at this point. So I'd go with Owen. Yeah, I can see that, Robin. And like I, like I said before, Owen, he, he got me wound up. He did what he was meant to do. And it, uh, for me, he was actually the highlight of that of that whole segment before the beatdown. So I can fully see where you're coming from with that. So the most important award of the night, mullet of the night. So who would you go with, Max? 
Oof, now we're getting out of the, the mullet era, I think. Uh, people are actually having decent hairdos uh, in this time. But there was a, there was one standout for me, um, and I'm going to go with Mark Miro, because he still fully embraced having a proper mullet in his uh, little promo video that was filmed like a, a little scary movie, but he had the full-on business at the front, party at the back style there. So I'm going to go with uh, the wild man, Mark Miro. I'm actually annoyed I didn't spot that because that's that's how little I paid attention to that Mark Miro promo. <laughs> I didn't even realise that he had that he had the mullet on. So I went for the I went for the closest other haircut I could see to a mullet, and that was Warrior still rocking the uh, still rocking the. Uh, I think it was a bit sort of permy at this point. Wasn't it? it was a bit curly his hair and flowing down. So that was the closest thing to a mullet I could find on the show. Oh, I, I thought the closest thing I could find was Shawn Michaels. So you've both done a better job than me. <laughs> And maybe it's an honorary award for, um, you know, previous impressive mullets. Mm-hmm. We might have to change this, you know, to uh, to the Rene Goulet Award for the uh, for the best haircut of the show. He deserves an award of his own because to champion that hairdo for so long, uh, yeah, he's. I always when when you see like uh, officials come out, I always look for him because he's just his hair astounds me. I mean, the the great thing is that we're doing all those pay-per-view reviews on That Night's Wrestling Podcast, and we know that we've got a year's worth of Goulet to come because, you know, we're only at 92 there, then we're at 96 here and he's still here. But I am worried that one day people are going to run out from the back and Rene Goulet won't be there. Oh, he's, he's still running out, isn't he? He's <laughs> still, still involved now. <laughs> They're defrosting once a week. It'll be a sad day when we when we have no more Rene Goulet. It will. What rating out of ten would you give the show, Max? Oof, no, but I've already kind of like telegraphed this with my uh, solid B. But like I said, this for the for taking it as a, a a snapshot of the time. I can understand why it got such good ratings. Bringing back the Warrior after three years was a massive pop. We had the the storyline with uh, Diesel and Shawn Michaels. They they were starting to kind of blend in more reality into into as well as the kind of like job based gimmicks that they did. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it. So I'm gonna have to give it a seven. I think seven out of ten. Right, and here's why. Here's where I explain why I disagree with Cade. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so as I, as I do every show, I break it down into the different categories. So for the for the matches, the opener for me was was like an eight out of ten. I thought it was fantastic. It laid the framework for the for the first half of the show. Really good, big lads beat down. Rest of them were a four and a five out of ten. So for me, one eight, a five and a four averages out about a five. Promos mainly for Warrior and Gold Dust. I gave us I gave a seven. Would have been higher, but Mark Miro happened. The production, I know, I know. Compared to modern to modern times, the production is crap. But you've got to you've got to imagine how refreshing it is at this point on Raw after the episodes we covered to actually see a bit of pyro <laughs> yeah. and a bit of and a bit of other CGI that isn't a blue isn't a blue cube rising up out of some goop like a bad uh, like a bad Terminator movie or something like that. So as far as you know, in relative terms, the uh, on the picture in picture, I don't think we've uh, we've seen much of that, if any, uh, up to this point. So that bumps it up to uh, to a good six out of ten for me. Story wise, probably one of the the strong points of the show, as you said. Uh, I won't recap everything everything Mags just said, but we've we've said Vader advancing the Diesel and Sean story, giving Owen a bit to do. Uh, so that'd probably for me be uh, a seven. 
the fan response, uh, obviously, I didn't have me, me right glasses on um, compared to what Rob was watching. But just for most of the show, it just did not feel look or feel to me like they gave a fuck outside of the, the opener and Warrior. They just couldn't really care. So I'd give that a four. So it all averages out to me for bang average five out of ten. All right. Can't amongst the pigeons there. I love that you spend so much time doing these well thought out. You've made loads of notes. And then I'll just sit here and go, seven. <laughs> Brilliant. It's the only bit of the podcast I put any effort into. I can't even remember until you tell me what I ranked the five categories. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So we've got seven from me. And the reason I've given it a seven is compared to the last episode we watched, you know, with the billionaire Ted and it felt really desperate. And, you know, they had to sort of put in pay-per-view matches to try and desperately grab at ratings. And and it all, the whole show just felt really desperate. This felt like the show had an identity. It felt they didn't really care what WCW were, were doing. They're going to plow on ahead and they know what the vision is and they know what they want to do. And I thought it was a really solid show because of that. And it, it's night and day from the last episode we reviewed. So I think it thoroughly deserves a seven. So would it surprise you that the Community on Cage match has rated the show at 5.33? Ooh, I was so close. the closest I've ever been. Wow. Smart bunch of people on cage match. Don't know why I ever doubted it. It's not his Literally started the this the segment by slating him. I don't know what you mean. I never said that. No, it's rare that we ever agree with cage match, but uh, 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 as we've said before, a, a broken cage match is right twice a day. <laughs> uh, so where can people find you, Mags? And this might take a while. Oof. Well. You can find me at my house because we're still in lockdown here in the UK. Uh, but if you want to link with me socially, uh, I'm only on uh, the Twitters at DJ Kirby. If you like listening to my horrific Lancashire voice, I, I'm involved in several podcast projects covering UFC, wrestling, actual proper football. I won't go through more because we we're sitting for another forty-seven minutes. But you can certainly find links of uh, to them on on my Twitter feed. So come and follow me at DJ Kirby. Get involved. Uh, it's a it's a good time. I think you might have a little bit too high expectations of when this podcast is going to drop. Uh, <laughs> when when it drops, we'll probably all be living on Mars. Uh, <laughs> where, where can people find you, Dan? Uh, I'm on Twitter at DanGriffin21, uh, usually spouting off some bollocks about walking the dog or wrestling that's at least six weeks out of date. And I'm on the monthly pay-per-view reviews uh, for that 90s wrestling podcast, which you can find at 90s Wrestling Pod. Excellent. You can find me at UTT Rob. Uh, uh, I'd rather have mutuals than followers, so more than happy to follow back. Um, you can find the show on Twitter at, at uh, UTT Podcast. And if you want to subscribe to the show, there's either the UTT podcast on Booking the Territory channel or we're also on that 90s wrestling podcast uh, channel. So why not subscribe to both so you'll never miss an episode. And listen on both as well. So double the listens.
Uh, yeah, that, that 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 that's probably more important, isn't it? <laughs> Mag's, do, Mag's doing a better job pull, uh, plugging the podcast than I am. He's the professional. Well, that's a stretch. <laughs> Slightly more professional than us, <laughs> or me anyway. <laughs> so next week we're flipping the channel and we're uh, going to go to WCW for the first time, which is extremely exciting. And then the week after we'll come back for Bruce Pritchard and. Jim Carnett's lowest rated episode, so a lot to look forward to. It's going to be a fun couple of weeks. Listen to these people. What do they see in this guy? One question would be, where have you been for three long years? You've been living in Montana, McMahon, where all the lunatics live. Those places where a man goes that are of any real importance, Vince McMahon, are not places you will ever find up on a map. For a man to truly find himself, he has to go one place that we're all entitled to go to, deep, deep, deep in the mind. In the three and a half years that I have been absent, there's one thing that would not die. The voices, the spirit of the warrior. You spoke to me. You spoke to me. All of you spoke to me. All of you. The very blood of your visions said one thing. We want it, warrior, and we want it bad. We want to live one more time in the power of the warrior. This guy's more of a lunatic than I thought.